You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, good morning. How are you? Well, what a great time of worship today. Um, I'm excited about today because it's going to get real personal today. You guys ready to get a little uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Hey, you know what? I want to I wanna pray again because it is dealing with it, some kind of... Will some sensitive areas. So uh, let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that your uh, word would would change our life today. God, I pray that we would not have barriers of resistance or pride or arrogance, uh, that we would allow those walls to come down and let your scripture challenge us as uh, as men and women, as people today, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series uh, called Next, and we have been uh, journeying through First Peter because they were going through a situation where they had no idea what was going on in their life. Their life seemed to be falling apart, and Peter, the apostle, once a disciple of Jesus, basically wrote a letter to encourage them on how they can find direction in their life when their life isn't making any sense. So Peter reminds them right off the top, the big idea of First Peter is that you have been given a new life. You've been given a new way of living life and you have been given a new way of looking at life. And when we understand this, we can find direction in our life. So we've been kind of going through First Peter and uh, basically finding out what God has for us, not only this year, but in your life next. So let's pick up where we left off last time. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 was our main emphasis of last week. And it says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. He goes on to say, whether it's local authority, whether it's national authority, whether it's um, governments or police or parents or a boss, he says, uh, we need to submit to every human authority. And then he says, and show proper respect to everyone. This is a common theme through First Peter. You, you don't give respect to people that earn it. You give respect because they are a human being, because they are a person. And because someone is in authority, then you need to respect their authority, and they might have to earn their rapport. But you give respect, res, uh, rapport is earned. He says, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. That means, by the way, their emperor was Nero. He was one of the most evil people of history for Rome. He persecuted Christians terribly. And Peter was saying, you know what? Even the tyrant of a leader, Nero, you should honor him. So Peter's challenging us to live honorable lives, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even in the face of poor leadership and bad circumstances. Because when we submit to authority, unless that authority, by the way, uh, directs us to sin, we are to submit to that authority. If they direct us to sin or to dishonor God, the Bible says we have the right to obey God rather than men. But he says, if they're not causing you to sin, you need to submit to them. So Peter then takes it a step further today. And in the next chapter, he basically says, it's now time to find out how authority works in your home. And particularly between a husband and wife. So today it's an early Valentine's Day. And uh, if you're single, I want you to listen to what is being shared with you today on how you can conduct your life 
moving forward in relationships in God's eyes. If you're married, then, I mean, don't nudge your neighbor. Don't nudge your husband or your wife. Get the cotton out of your ears and listen today. And if you're a young person, two things. I want you to be thinking about how God can use this in your life as you mature. And number two, I want you to look for this in your mom and dad. Okay, now that's a challenge right there if your parents are here because now they're going to be looking for this. Let's start right where he says wives. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3, a word to the wives. He says wives. He's going to talk to husbands in a minute, but I want you to know that he talks six times more to the wives than he does to the husbands. We get six verses for wives, one for husbands. That's because Peter is a male chauvinist. And he, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Actually, he is dealing with a very specific issue, as we're going to find out. He says, wives, in the same way, remember he's talking about authority, even when it's not good authority, we're to honor them. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. And every woman said, amen. I'm just kidding. Anybody want to try to explain that real quick to us so that we're not confused? Any any women want to try to explain that? <laughs> it's kind of funny when I do like, like premarital counseling and we get to sections like this, I immediately ask, the, the, the husband, what do you think that means? <laughs> and then I asked the wife, and they're like, uh, um, she, got, she has to do what I say. And then when I asked the wives, they're like, they're spe- they don't even want to answer because it's like everything they say, they're not sure because of that word, submit. That's a word that is often used to, to subjectify women. It's used to control women, it's in, but it's also used to slander Christians as being anti-woman. And I want to explain to you what that word submit means. Submission does not mean that one is greater or more important. For example, we submit to our teachers. We submit to police officers. We submit to our government. That does not mean that they are more important than us or more value than us or have a greater worth than us. That's the role that we are in, in that relationship, where we are just even Jesus. Check this out. Jesus, who is over all, submitted to his parents and earthly government. Even Jesus, in the role that he took when he was walking on the earth, submitted to those people around him in his life. Submission is not a a superiority. It does not mean one is better than the other. This passage is about allowing the other person to take the lead. The word submit means to follow behind. It means to, to fall under their leadership. So when it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband, it means let him lead and you follow him. Let him lead. This passage is not condoning treating a wife like a doormat or for her to keep her quiet. It deals with the specific questions we're going to find out. He says, what do we do when my husband does not follow Jesus, but I am? What do we do when my husband does not have the passion for God that I have. This is why he spends six verses talking about this issue because he's dealing with that specific question. And he says, as the gospel spread, basically this is a real issue in, in, the, in, their, in their churches. I mean, it's an issue today. The majority of churches 
are filled with women whose husbands have no passion to live, to live for Jesus. I mean, wives, for the most part, are dragging their husbands to church, right? Now, my, my heart is to see a church rise up with men of God that are leading the home and their families and their wives and the women in their lives. It says, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, that means if they're unbelievers or they're not followers of Jesus, he says, submit to them so that if they're not a believer, they might be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. He says, once you've spoken your faith, once they know that you are a follower of Jesus and they still reject it, he says, don't nag them. He says, love them. He says, win him by your attitude and your actions toward him. Your attitude is a powerful witness. When you choose to support the leadership of your home, you testify of a greater authority in your life, Peter is saying. And by the way, if you're not married and you have given your life to Jesus and the person you are dating is not a follower of Jesus, this does not apply to you. The Bible says you should pull away from that relationship because you want to be married to someone who loves and follows Jesus with the passion that you have. But if you're married, then God has a plan for you together, whether they're a Christian or not. So he goes on to say, submission is not a reward of good behavior. Like other areas of life, we submit because it's what we're called to do. It's God's will. So I want you to write this down. This is the first thing I word to wives is this. Whether your husband is a Christian or not, God's set roles in the home are still the same. Whether they have a passion for God or want to go to church or want to pray with you, the same roles in the home apply whether it is a, quote, Christian household or not. So what are the roles of a wife and the roles of a husband? By the way, the life teams kick off this week and the life teams will be talking about the roles in the home. And it, is, it gives you a chance to voice your thoughts and to talk out, to flesh out the ideas of this passage right here. And what are the roles according to Scripture? Where the first role of a wife is to respect and follow your husband's lead. We're going to take a look at that in the life teams this week. The Bible says, let him lead. Let him lead. That's what the word submit. It doesn't mean that you just bow to him and do everything he says and that everything he says is right because you you know for sure that everything he says is not right. It doesn't mean he's smarter than you because many of you wives are so much smarter than your husband. It doesn't mean he's a better leader than you. It means that he is who God has put to lead. And the second role of a wife is to help him be a great man, help him be a great leader encourage him, love on him. See, my wife, for example, we have a, 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 a good match at home. I mean, um, we are a team. Everything from the beginning of the day to the end, we are a team. We make decisions together. Uh, we choose direction of our home together. Uh, when it comes to the direction of our house as the leader of our home, she's my counselor. She's my guide. She's the one who instructs me. She, you know, I, I, you know, what you think about our home matters a little bit. What she thinks about our home is everything to me, right? So she's my counselor. I'm going to go to her for guidance and instruction. But at the end of the day, I have to make the decision to lead and direct our home. But a good husband leans on the counsel of his wife because she has been called to make you a great man. All right? 
So that's a beautiful role in the home. Note, by the way, male leadership is God's command principle for the home and church. It is not for society in general. Women are not to submit to men. In the world, it does not mean that women are to submit to men. It means in the home, the husband is the leader. And in the church, men are to take the lead. It does not mean that women cannot lead or don't have a voice or they can't be dynamic leaders, but it means that men should be the primary first step leaders. And, and, but in the world, in society, it does not apply. So women, you're not lower or less of a person or a leader in the world standards for sure, or even in the church. But this is important because a lot of guys use this to find superiority over or to use it as superiority over women. No, this is, has nothing to do with men and women. This has everything to do with wives and husbands and their roles in the home. He goes on to say, at home, submit to him as a leader. Verse 3, it says, so that they may be won over by without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. He says, man, let your life reflect Jesus. Now, some of you this doesn't apply to right now because some of you either you're not married or you're in a marriage that has uh, two people that love Jesus, but he's speaking right now to some of you in this room, some of you women who love Jesus and wish your husband did too and wish he had the same passion and heart for God that you're trying to nurture. Paul says this, he says, man, let your life and attitude win him over. He says, by your purity and reverence. He says, let your life, he says, live what you say, you believe. Live what you challenge your husband or kids to do. For example, you know, if you're trying to live for Jesus, not going out and getting drunk with your friends, it might mean being modest, being uh, pure-hearted, meaning uh, setting standards that you don't just you know, put on people, but you live by. He says, that's your life. Reflect God and let them be won over by the purity of your life. So I want you to write this down as how you live your life before your family can make or break their ability to see Jesus. How you live your life can in a big way, determine if your husband ever gets to know Jesus or if your wife ever gets to know Jesus or if your kids ever meet Jesus. See, these women were radically changed and saved. They once sacrificed to pagan gods. These women once sold themselves in promiscuous worship to pagan gods in local temples. Now they're a new creation. They're learning scripture. They're singing new songs. They got a whole new set of friends. She's a new girl and her husband has rejected this. And Paul says, let your life reflect God. He doesn't want to hear it. But if your life speaks louder, he might be won over, he says. A good and godly woman can set the mood of a household and bring God's presence into a home. I see that in our house. I see that in many houses that are represented here. A godly woman can set the mood for an entire household. I am thankful that there are godly women that pray and bring their husbands to church. Because men, we're, we're prideful, we're arrogant, we don't like help, we don't like to be, you know, told anything. We're, we, we don't like to be told what to do, 
And submitting yourself to Jesus means he tells you what to do and you're no longer the boss of your life, but he's the boss of your life and we don't like that. Women are, are quick to, to learn and to grow and to receive instruction. Many of them are very, very teachable. So when they come to Jesus, they're like, yes, Jesus, here I am. And men come to Jesus, I prove it, God, that it works. Prove it that, that, you know, God, I'll come to you when my ideas don't work. That's how we operate, right? I will do everything on my own. And then if it doesn't work, I'll try God. Uh, I like how women set the, the pace of our lives and of our home and of our friendships. Some of you women, you've got guy friends that are just friends and they're just, you know, they're not loving or serving or passionate about Jesus, but you are. You can set the mood. You can set the environment for your relationships. Here's a big question. How can a Christian win their unbelieving spouse to Jesus? Well, there's no guarantee that he will ever come around. There's no guarantee that your children will ever meet Jesus. This is a principle, not a promise. Your husband and your kids, if you want them to see Jesus, the first question he says, do they see him in you? He goes on to say, he says that purity and reverence is truly attractive. How many of you women want to be attractive? Only some of you, huh? The rest of you don't want to be attractive? You're doing a great job. Mission accomplished. No, just kidding. I should probably repent real quick before I... How many of you want to be attractive? Come on. I don't know a single woman that really doesn't want to be attractive. He says this. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now, some Christians have used this verse to forbid makeup. And some churches have used this to forbid jewelry or wearing nice clothes. I once had a pastor when I was growing up say, every old barn needs a new coat of paint. He's referring to women in makeup. I thought that was kind of funny. There's no old barns here, just, just beautiful brand new barns, right? <laughs> this verse is not forbidding the use of, uh, of, of makeup or nice clothes, but this, this passage is not forbidding you from looking nice. This issue here is he's saying, don't use your looks, don't use your sexuality as a weapon to manipulate your husband. He says, but rather, he says, but rather let your true beauty and trust in the Lord lead him to know Jesus. We live in a culture where the body is the weapon of choice for women. And men, we battle with that choice every day, don't we? Some of you men don't realize we're trying to be godly men and men that aren't even Christians are trying to be decent men. But there is a weapon that you hold that's very powerful. That is your body. And he says, man, don't let your body be a weapon. Don't use the outside to be what you attract people to. He's not saying don't look good. He's saying don't let that be your major way of beauty. He says, this is not forbidding looking nice, but rather don't focus on having to feel sexy on having to rely upon your looks to attract or lead them in. You know, I've spoke to couples who the wife uses her sexuality as a weapon in their marriage, you know, forbidding or withholding things sexually in order to get her way or to dress or to do certain things to motivate him to do things that she wants. Paul is, uh, Peter is saying, don't 
do that? Lead him by the, by the beauty that is truly unfading. Here's a couple of versions of it. By the way, beautiful women can be very ugly on the inside. Would you agree? And, and as men, we know that. We can see beautiful women and all of a sudden see an ugly attitude. And no matter how beautiful they are, we're just not attracted anymore. And we've also seen some women that maybe not be beautiful on the world standards that are some of the most beautiful and attractive women we've ever known because their nature and their kindness and their demeanor and everything about them is so attractive. Attractive means somebody wants to be around you. It means they're drawn to you as a person and, and you make them feel good about who they are and they love being with you. That's being attractive. Looks might get attention, but they don't keep anybody. Here's a couple of the verses in two other translations. The contemporary version says, don't depend on things like fancy hairdos or gold jewelry or expensive clothes to make you look beautiful. Be beautiful in your heart. The New Living says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with a beauty that comes from within. So here's a word to the wives. And it's really a word to women. And it's this, the most attractive thing in the world is a person's inner beauty. The most attractive thing in the world is a person's inner beauty. Peter gives us a two-word answer to how are you going to lead a family when they don't want Jesus? He says, be beautiful inside. He says, inner beauty is true beauty. The battle, the struggle with every woman. I mean, every woman that I talk to has a constant battle called comparison. They, they battle with their own beauty. They battle with their own identity. They look in the mirror and they want to be like somebody else who's prettier than they are. And they're constantly comparing. Now, I'm speaking from a guy who's talked to women, including my wife, about this. All right? And I'm sure if you women were honest, the, I think the, the biggest battle, one of the biggest struggles for a woman is comparison. Because we're always having to feel like we have to be who we think society says we need to be. We want to keep our men or we want to be better than the women who we think are pretty. Movies, culture, TV, magazines, they all set very unrealistic standards. Fast, one of the fastest growing industries in the United States is the aesthetic plastic surgery industry, which is basically um, redo me so that I can look like this celebrity, this person, or this look, or, or pull here or poke here. In the eyes of God, inner beauty matters more than outer beauty, especially for a Christian wife who wants to lead her husband to Jesus. There's nothing inherently wrong with looking your best. I think you should look your best. I think you should take care of yourself and, and, and be the best you you can be. And dress in clean clothes. Thank you. And I think you should look nice. I think you, women, I think you should look the most beautiful you can. Not to please or manipulate somebody, but because you value yourself as a person, as a child of God. The point is, outward adornment shouldn't be our preoccupation. Give more attention to cultivating godly character and a heart that loves God. You, some of you, and, and men are guilty of it too, we spend hours and hours trying to look our best. Maybe in the morning you spend an hour or more trying to fix up yourself before you get out of the house. Well, 
What do you do every day to prepare your inner adornment, to prepare your, or to dress the inner beauty of who you are? First Peter verse three, uh, chapter three, verse four, he says, rather it should be that of your inner self. He's talking about true beauty, the unfading beauty. Everybody say unfading beauty. The unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Clothing and style will get the attention of the world, but a humble heart catches the eye of God and the eye of godly men. He says here that the key word is unfading. You see, outer beauty does not last. No matter what you do, it will fade away. This beauty of this world, everything that you do to make yourself look good, I'm glad you do, but it will fade away. Every shot that you get will require another shot. Every surgery you get will require one more pull. Every lift that you get will require another lift. You'll always need another injection until they just don't work and things sag and wrinkle again. Because this life, this body is not meant to last forever, but our soul, our inner beauty can be eternal. He says it's unfading. That kind of beauty, it never goes out of style. Every surgery will go out of style. He says the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let me explain that. The word gentle means meek. If you're not sure what meek means, it doesn't mean that you're like passive and like, yes, yes. And you're you're like gentle and like, you know, talk like a mouse. Gentle means meek. That means strength under control. That means you're confident, you're secure in who you are. You're not walking around trying to compare yourself to everybody or look like somebody or try to impress somebody. Then you love who you are because you're a child of God, a person God created with value and worth. And, and that you have confidence in that. So you have a gentle spirit. You have a meek strength. You have a strength that's under control. You don't have to try to impress people all the time. You don't have to try to get your way. You don't have to, to try to control the situation because you know God's under control. And then he says, and a quiet spirit. That doesn't mean you never talk. What quiet means there, it means a peaceful, uh, sorry, a peaceful or patient spirit. That means someone who is secure in themselves. For instance, a quintal giant spirit is someone who doesn't have to be the center of attention. You know, have you ever known, don't point to anybody, uh, have you ever known somebody that just has to be the center of attention all the time? I said, don't point to people. I saw some of you doing this and that, you know. There's some people that just, they're just outgoing and that's part of their personality. Some people are the center of attention because they feel very insecure about themselves. And they feel like if they can get people laughing, they'll, they can maybe draw them away from the things that they feel insecure about. But you know what? A be- the beauty, the unfading, the unfading beauty of a strong but under control gentle spirit and a quiet, which means a confident, secure person, means I don't have to get all the attention, all the eyes. When I walk in, people don't have to look at me. You're beautiful inside and out. But when you walk in, it says, I don't have to have everybody think I'm the center of this room. You see, Jesus took on the same attitude. Jesus actually said, described himself, I am gentle and lowly in spirit. This is the creator of the universe. He says, I want you to take on that character trait, gentle 
and lonely in spirit. He had all the strength of the universe. He could snap his fingers and the host of millions of angels could have come and wiped out all those that were attacking him. But he was gentle and lowly in spirit. He didn't require himself to be the center of attention. This kind of inner beauty never goes out of style or gets put on a discount rack. It's as beautiful as when you're 17, 57, or 74. Husbands, do you encourage this in your wife? Do you focus on the outer looks or do you encourage the inner beauty? Young men, is this the kind of woman that you're looking for or do you focus on the outer looks? Again, there's nothing wrong with looking your best and looking beautiful, but true beauty that doesn't fade is what's inside. And that's where we should focus our time. Peter says, you know what? You want to win your family? Be beautiful inside. He goes on to say, he says, here's an example. For this is the way that the uh, holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. He said, man, they didn't have a whole lot of fancy clothes and, and jewelry. And, but you know what they had? They had a beauty that they could wear that was amazing, and we're reading about them today. He says, he says, they submitted themselves to their husbands. They followed their leadership, the leadership of their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. By the way, I want us from this day forward, husbands, expect your wives to call you Lord. And all the women said, yes, Lord. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. That is not a, a command. This is a cultural expression that just means boss. All right? It doesn't mean that he is in charge of you, but it means that you're letting him lead. And this was a cultural expression. It's not something we should do today if you value your marriage. Don't do it today. He says, this is an example how Sarah followed her husband. He says, you are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Sometimes it's scary to let him lead. Sometimes it's scary to trust that God knows what he's doing, even in a family where not everybody loves Jesus. Sarah encouraged the leadership of Abraham and followed him. I want you to, you might even want to write this down, women. Few things stir a man's heart to be godly like the affirmation of his wife. I tell you, there are, there are times when my wife's voice is like the voice of God in my life. And she inspires me to be the man that she deserves. She inspires me to be the father that I should be. She reins me in when I get harsh and she unleashes me when I need to be. And she affirms me. And I tell you, every, every man who knows the value of his wife understands that you are in many ways the product of the wife who has affirmed you or torn you down. He says the big idea, women, if you want to be attractive, focus on godly character and inner beauty. Now he gives one verse to men, and this is the verse. He says, husbands... He says, husbands in the same way, again, there are rules for wives, there are rules for husbands. I want you to go ahead and write this down. The husband and the wife are equal in value and dignity and yet have different roles. This is important. In God's eyes, we are equal. In God's eyes, every man and every woman in the eyes of God is equal. Just like you are equal with your other authority in your life, maybe a boss or a police, you are equal. They're not superior over you. However, they might be the person who's God put in your life to be a superior in your life. They're not superior to you as a person. And it's important that we understand that that the husband and wife are equal in value and dignity, but 
have very different roles in the home. Here's the roles of the husband. Again, this is going to be unpacked. These verses are going to be read in our small groups this week and give you a chance to, to, to talk about them and flesh them out and complain about them or encourage each other in them. And the roles of the husband, according to the scriptures, number one, husbands be a humble servant leader. The Bible says that we are to lead like Christ, which is someone who laid down his life for his bride. Christ laid down his life for us. He did not demand his way. He did not tell his disciples to wash his feet, but he washed the feet of his disciples. It was inconvenient for him to go to the cross, but he did it for us because he saw the love that was required for our salvation. Husbands, love your wife, the Bible says, like Jesus loves us and lead your family like Jesus leads us as a humble servant, a humble servant. And then second, he says, husbands, love and honor your wife. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. You are to love your wife. You are to love on your wife. It is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is a role that you have. I, I, I talk about this. This is kind of a little footnote. I think the food of spirit, the, the, the spiritual food for a woman is love and affection. I believe that when you tell a woman that she is valuable, important, and she feels safe and trusted in the affection and love of her warrior, I mean, when, when she feels valued, then that feeds her spirit to follow you wherever you will take her. And women, the food, the spiritual food for, for men is respect. When he feels valued and respected and honored, and he becomes the man, he rises to the challenge of the man that you deserve. And he says, husbands, love your wife and honor her as well. We're going to unpack that in the small groups. Don't miss small groups this year. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That means as you dwell with her, as you get to know her, as you live with her, as you are in unity with her. He says, as you are living, thinking about a rabbit trail, not going to do it. Um, <laughs> I know you're dying to know. I'll tell you afterwards. He says, as you consider, uh, be considered as you live with your wives. Other translations say, as you dwell with her in understanding. I want you to write this down. Men, here's a word to you. Seek to deeply know and understand your wife. That will be a lifelong journey that you will never get to understand. I love the complexity of my wife. Frustrating at times but I love it nonetheless. It is the complexity that leads to her beauty, right? It's, it's the mystery. It's part of the not being able to figure out that pulls my hair out at the same time and causes me to want to chase her even more. He says, deeply know and understand your wife. Your position of authority is not a license for insensitivity. Men, make it your goal to understand your wife. How do you do that? Well, you spend time with her. You hang out with her. You actually... Just don't plan a date to be with her. Just be with her. Some of you guys, you got, you're going to go on a date because you don't see each other all week long and you need that date just to see each other. Well, that's not healthy either. You need to be together regularly. You need to hang out together. You just live life together. Get to know her. See how she acts and interacts on her daily life of, of living with the personalities around her. He says, spend time with her. Here's some other ways. You can, you can listen to her. It's time to, to just inquire how 
she's doing, how her, and, and just hold back your thoughts. I got to do that all the time because we got thoughts about everything. We got an opinion about everything. We can fix everything, right? Men, can you fix everything? We feel like it. We think so. And we, you've heard this so many times. They don't want to be fixed. They want to be heard. Here's another thing you can do to understand your wife. Watch her. I'm like, watch her. Just kind of watch how she functions, how she lives, how she works, how she makes the bed, how she, you know, cleans the dishes. You would be amazed at how much you learn by watching and admiring your wife. Here's another thing. Encourage her. Build her up. Encourage her. Talk together. Hear her heart. Hear her dreams, her desires, her passions. Don't fix, just listen. When was the last time you really listened to your wife? He says, as you lived together in understanding. Man, some of you guys, you don't understand your wife because you don't ever listen to her. You never spend enough time to get to know her. He goes, he goes on to say, and treat her with respect as the weaker partner. This, again, is one of those verses that's been used to, to demean women, right? What do you think the weaker partner means? Anybody? It says, respect her as the weaker partner. Anybody? Shout it out. What do you think weaker partner means? It's Kid Venture crew moving out right now. See y'all later. <laughs> Didn't offend you, I know. There's that listening part. <laughs> Basically, it means the instruction is not a statement of weakness or inferiority. It just means that she is, most of the time, just not physically as strong. Most women, their bone structure, their body weight, Even the strongest woman will never be, never be as strong as the strongest man. You realize that, right? You know, when they, the whole debate about women on the battlefield and all that sort of thing, they've actually had to adjust what women are required to carry on the battlefield because they cannot carry the same thing that men can carry. So they've had to give allowances to women and actually remove from them what they have to carry because physically women you are equal in society and in the eyes of God, but physically, we're just built differently. Now, some of you women could beat up a lot of these men in this room. (laughs) But in general, women are created with a different structure. And he says, and I love this, simply it means look at your wife as valuable and honor her. Look at your wife as someone who's unique, a designer, original. Don't treat her like a man. Don't expect her to act like a man. Don't give her the same physical responsibilities around the house of a man. This is actually different from the entire Roman culture where men could subject and control their own wives and treat them as property and servants. Peter says, no way. He says, man, your wife is a gift. And though she is physically maybe not able to do what you can do, treat her special. Treat her as the gift that she is, the original that she is. Serve her, honor her, respect her. Literally, it means treat her with respect because she is a woman. That's what it means. There's a rare word used for woman in that, and the word there is only found twice in the entire Bible, and it's the word called feminine. It means feminine. Basically, it means treat her different because she's a woman. Men, you should be opening your doors for the women in your lives. Not because she can't, but because you're treating her 
like a woman. Husbands, when you get married, still treat your wife like a woman, right? Hello, come on. And men, we have to work on this. I got to work on this. I am with you on this because we get lazy and we think, well, you can do that too. Garbage isn't that heavy. Come on. What do you mean you can't pump gas? <laughs> I always joke around. I say, that's why men die before women die, because we do twice as much work in our life. <laughs> oh, juke. All right. But the idea here is know her limitations and respect them. This is played out in how we treat our women, particularly our wives. Open doors, help around the house, carry things in. We love our women to be feminine. So let her be feminine. Right? He goes on to say in verse 7, the second part to men, he says, and treat them with respect as heirs with you in Christ of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That means you're equal in, in, in eternal importance and in the eyes of God. And this is something you need to remember, men. This will change your life. This right here is never forget your wife is a daughter of God. That woman is deeply loved and created by God. And if you hurt her, you will have to answer to her daddy. And I tell you what, men, if you have Christ at the center of your life and you understand this in incredibly important value, then some of you would be a little bit more respectful to the wife that you claim that you love. You will treat her with kindness because your daddy, and well, her daddy, which is our father as well. I know that sounds weird just saying that. <laughs> I always, always uh, I used to tell young men, I said, remember that, that girl that you're interested in, she's your sister in the Lord. She's your sister before she's your girlfriend. And they're like, (laughs) it's a good way to kind of help people to (laughs) behave themselves, right? When you get married though, that is God's girl. That is, man, she's a daughter, she's a daddy's girl. And her father in heaven will hold you accountable, men, to how you treat the women in your life. He says, notice this. He says, if you'll do this, he says, remember, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Several times in scripture, this is one of them. It says that the way we treat our wives affects our walk with God and our prayers. Some of you men can't figure out why your life can't get together, how your house is always in chaos. You can't figure out why your job never seems to work out and things are just falling apart. Maybe it's because of the way you treat your wife. Maybe it's because you fail to live as a godly husband and a godly leader with with the spiritual leadership role that God has called you to be, and it has, as a result, spiritual and physical consequences. Peter mentioned wives, he mentions husbands. Now one verse, and we're going to pray what he says to all of us. He says this. He says, finally, to all of you. He says, be like-minded. That means be of one spirit, be in unity, be of one mind as long, well, we like to say, yeah, we can be in one mind as long as your mind is mine. We can be in agreement as long as you agree with me. Paul is saying, no, but the idea of unity is like a choir. 
It's like, man, we are a choir of voices with different voices and, and different sounds and, and different ways of singing. He says, but when we sing together in harmony, it is beautiful. He says, be like-minded. Doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, but be in unity. He says, and then he says be sympathetic. The word there is care and feel for each other's struggles. That means suffer with each other. Man, if you are hurting, I want to hurt with you. If you're celebrating, I want to celebrate with you. He says, and love one another. Now, this is an interesting word because it doesn't mean agape, which means unconditional. He says, but you need to show affection to one another. That's what the word love there is. That means he wants you to hug each other. He wants you to put a hand on a shoulder. He wants you to be affectionate, godly affection. And you know what? It is power. Man, I have seen lives changed through the power of a hug, through the power of touch in a healthy, godly way. A young person that has struggled their whole life with insecurity, whose parents rarely ever say, I love you, a hug and a hand on a shoulder can change their life forever. Some of our single adults in this room and whose family have moved away, the only hug they ever get might be on a Sunday morning in their life team. And I think we forget how we need, we need godly affection. He says, and love one another. He says, be compassionate. That means tenderhearted. It means we hurt when we see someone else hurting. We care. We are moved inside. Actually, the word compassionate there means our bowels are moved. <laughs> I'm, man, <laughs> I feel what you're going through. I, I need to go to the restroom real quick. <laughs> it, well, move me to a bowel movement. That doesn't mean that. But it means you're moved so deeply inside that you feel it. And when was the last time you heard someone go, oh, that's too bad. You know how I feel about that? He says, uh, you know, be compassionate. Care. Be tenderhearted. And then he says, and humble. The word humble there means kind and gracious, courteous, that you don't esteem or push yourself in front of others, but you are courteous and kind and compassionate and patient and loving with them. He says, how awesome would this be? Would the world not be drawn to us as a church if this is how we were? Man, I want to be a part of a church like that. I believe we are in many ways, but I think we have some areas to grow on. This would be powerful. And this is the last thing I want to say. And you write this down. This is the word to all of us is that there is nothing more powerful than when the body of Christ looks and acts the way Jesus designed us. Whether it be a husband or a wife or all of us, when we find the zone or the wheelhouse of how God has designed us, it's beautiful and it's powerful and it works. What Peter does from here on is he moves into talking about suffering. Why does he talk about suffering? Well, think about it. We live in a world with imperfect, sinful people, with imperfect, sinful husbands and wives and friends. And we're involved in caring, loving relationships, which means we will be involved in suffering. So next week, we're going to unpack how in an imperfect world can we maintain a godly attitude when our life around us is inflicting so much suffering or pain or struggle on us. I want to pray for you today. If you're a husband or a wife, 
I want to pray for you for sure. But in general, I want to pray for you that you will understand God's beautiful roles that he has for us and that you are beautiful. Women, I want you to know this. I don't know if, if anybody's ever told you, in Christ, you're beautiful. Your character, your demeanor, that an unfading beauty. You can be beautiful on the outside and be ugly on the inside. You can be less than what the world thinks is beautiful on the outside, but you can be the most attractive person in the room because that's what God does. He helps you to find who you were created and designed to be. And if we will trust in him, he will make men and women beautiful in this world. I believe that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us and care for us and you have designed us with a specific way to live and operate. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to understand the beautiful roles in our home and in our life and in our church. God, that our men would raise themselves up. God, that they would rise up to be men of God, humble in spirit, servants to their wives and kids, that they would be godly leaders who love and show love and affection and honor to their wives and kids. And Lord, I pray for wives in this room, that they will humbly encourage and guide and be the counsel and the encourager of their husbands to be the leader God has called them to be, and that they will find beauty on the inside to be the most powerful treasure than beauty on the outside. God, I pray for all of us. God, help us to live a life that is attractive to the world. God, help us to be compassionate, caring, kind, affectionate, loving people so that the world might find you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.